0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Desi Crime podcast. I'm Aryan, your host for this episode.
1: And I'm Ishwar
0: Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Instagram, at Desi Crime, and follow us. And while you're at it, throw a post, throw a story, give us a shout out, tell us why you love us so much and why you always tune in on Saturdays to listen to the Desi Crime podcast. So go over to Desi Crime's Insta, which is at Desi Crime. It would mean the world to us. Ever since the unfortunate ability to form memories infected you in childhood, you can recall the same repetitive lessons retold by your parents, the tooth fairy will come at night, be good and Santa shall reward, don't be good and the local gangster will come for you. We take for granted the fables reiterated to us night after night since time immemorial. But dismissing simple lessons simply because they're stale in our minds might prove unwise. In all these heuristics showered upon us as kids, a few stand out. They are as relevant today as they were a hundred years ago. Don't take candies from strangers. How simple, how elegant, but how difficult for a child to resist that sugary delight. An Alpenliebe or Melody offered to you for free, that too, before dinner. Which six-year-old could say no? Had this lesson not been inscribed in my head, I too could have fallen for the scheme. If you now think how stupid some kids might be to fall prey to this modus operandi of kidnapping, keep in mind, you're the same person that once upon a time believed in Santa Claus and tooth fairies. This is the story of the man that bitterly exploited the sweet tooth of children. This is the story of Delhi's Ravinder Kumar.
1: Aryan, I know you wanted to save this for a giant chichi episode, but even I don't know the full story of the Desi crime that happened to you in Rome just a couple days ago. So how about you share it with me and keep our listeners in the loop as well. I'm curious.
0: You know what, Ashwarya, it was worse than a Desi crime. It was a Desi on Desi crime. The assailants were brown, although not, you know, Indian or Pakistani, but it still kind of hurt, you know. Um, But what happened was basically me and one of my best mates, we were walking towards the Colosseum in Rome, um, all happy and dandy. It was the last day of my vacation. And, you know, I in jest just told him, Adi, how cool would it be to just get burgled once in your life? And, you know, I was half tipsy, half joking, but it was a bucket list item, right? Just to get, <laughs> you know, burgled once. And I, of course, it's, I said it in jest. Well, one and a half hour later, um... Yeah, that is exactly what happened to me. Uh, These two guys, they were peddling roses and it was one in the morning. um, And one of the guys, he ends up, even though we were saying, go away, go away, we don't want roses, puts his arm over my friend. Um, The other one shoves him and they pull his chain. Oh
1: my God. They
0: shout some slurs and then they run away. Um, And yeah, we call the police and the whole shebang. And, uh, you know, we, we made it out alive. The gold chain ended up being a gold plated chain, which is not expensive at all. <laughs> so, you know, the, at the end of the day, uh, the joke's on them when they go to try to pawn it off for some money. Um, but still, you know, it, the fact that we didn't fight back, it's we're scary, sort of guilty, yeah. scared, weird emotions, uh, yeah. but we're alive. And I'm here to tell another tale.
1: I think, I don't know if any of you ever watched Goosebumps in your childhood or read Goosebumps. I was a huge fan. And one of my most favorite episodes from Goosebumps is called Be Careful What You Wish For. And I think Aryan just lived that episode. And yeah, but I think, Aryan, I think you got off easy. I think muggings can be way worse. This was a fairly simpler one with a gold-plated chain. (laughs) Yeah. Our sympathies with Aryan and our friend Adi.
0: In the comments, though, listeners, you know, just put in your thoughts. What do you think is the correct response to being mugged? Should you just cave in? Should you run? What should you do? Because this is a debate me and my friend have been having. Um, and I just like to, you know, uh, outsource thoughts about should you just give in to the muggers' demands? Because uh, life mean, yeah, is more especially... important. yeah.
1: Especially when you're in a town you don't know, like you don't have yeah. friends there or family around that can help you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, definitely gave in. Yeah. 100%. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so Ashwara, even though this Delhi boy in me is traversing Europe right now, and by the way, European <laughs> listeners, please DM me at Misra if you want me to stop by in your town. I would love to do that. You can take the Delhi boy out of Delhi, but not Delhi out of this boy. And so... Think of crowded streets, the smell of chaat and biryani, oh, muddled with sweat and sewage. I mean, you should have no, waited oh for me to complete that <laughs> statement. Oops. Yeah, Muddled with sweat and sewage and let me take you to a city I know all too fondly. If you're not from Delhi, the capital of our country casts the illusion of a monolith. D-E-L-H-I. Delhi. As if you are to gather all its demographic and geographic complexities in two syllables and five alphabets. If it were up to me, I'd divide Delhi into sub-cities to reflect the vast social, cultural and economic differences of different square kilometers within this one city. But despite social, cultural and economic differences, a call we all surrender to is that of nature's. It's a biological affliction (laughs) we all answer to. The urge to take a piss. And the residents of Begampur were no different. They too responded to this urge. But while there's a good chance you're listening to my voice while sitting atop a western-mounted toilet seat conducting well your business, that too actually is a luxury. Back in 2015, joggis, basically temporary huts with thatched tin roofs in this area of Begampur, didn't have toilets inside the house. The depraved conditions, tiny living quarters, and an abysmal sewage system forced residents to leave their homes and go out into the adjacent jungle of Begampur to do their thing. At 6.30am in the morning of July 14th, 2014, a 6-year-old girl set forth to this area. This was a boring but unavoidable routine, and the two-minute walk was part and parcel of her life. Oof.
1: I don't know there's obviously the the hygiene argument that you know we should change sanitary conditions across the country just purely from the sake of maintaining hygiene for these people so many of these children die because of small infections that could have been prevented just by hygienic conditions um, and preventing the hygiene of the entire community making sure the streets the lanes you know the fields are clean but there's the other argument which we don't see until we come across a case like this which is just a safety argument like for a six-year-old child to go back and forth all alone at 6 30 a.m in the night like we can imagine our own parents reactions to that that would never have been allowed while I was six years old yeah and there's that argument as well and
0: i think that argument is what percolates into this story because you know this was a boring but unavoidable routine and the two-minute walk was part and parcel of her life except this day her mother kept looking at the clock as minutes turned to hours the food turned cold and the tea no longer steamed but pushpa Devi's six-year-old daughter wasn't back Day turned to night, but there were no signs of her. Her father, Santosh Kumar, who was a bullock cart rider, was later recorded by the BBC saying, we don't have a latrine at home, so she had to go to the nearby fields. We were waiting for her to come back, have her tea and breakfast and go to school. But she never came back. End quote. As a parents scramble to file a missing persons report, and as you remember from Natari, for underprivileged families, this can be an arduous process – Precious time to find her was ticking by. 20 hours had gone by since she was missing. Pushpa and Santosh pacing between the Begampur police station, pleading the cops to do something. And don't get me wrong, it's not like the cops were there sitting idle eating samosas. Far from it. Begampur is notoriously known for being a crime-infested area. Pushpa and Santosh weren't the only parents at the Thana urging the cops to find their kids. Kids often went missing here. Kidnappings, rapes, and sometimes murder were all too common. In fact, just a couple of years ago, a boy from Begumpur had been raped and his throat slit open. Oh, Jesus Christ. By miraculous odds, he had survived this mentally and physically traumatic experience. And his aggressor was actually caught by the police. But as happens, Ashwara, in these cases all too often, victims have blurry memories of their rape. The mind tries to repress it as much as possible in many cases. This poor kid was no different. He was unable to identify the alleged perpetrator when he was presented. And thus, that man was let go. Begumpur is rife with many such stories. Which is why when Delhi is thrown around as an all encompassing term, one must realize there is more to this city than India Gate or Cannot Place. There are nooks and crannies where even the cops shudder at the thought of going alone. 24 hours later, on 15th July, the search for the missing 6-year-old was on. Where could she have gone? The family knew she was headed to the jungle, a spot they were all well acquainted with, but there were no signs of her in this area, which they generally use as their toilets. They live in a densely populated area, so chances are high someone would have seen her. But then again, 6.30 in the morning, it's early and the sun has just started peering over the horizon. As the family grappled with all these plausible scenarios, the undergirding belief was that she's well and alive. That belief was soon uprooted when sometime in the day, the police stumbled across a septic tank. Merely 50 yards away from the Joggi or hut where Pushpa's family lived, there was a construction site. The building in question was a long way away from being fully built, just as many buildings in Delhi and CRR. But the sewage system was laid out. Part of a building sewage blueprint is a structure called the septic tank. A septic tank is, you know, mainly responsible for treating the water that is circulated to and fro the residences. When work was in full swing, locals and workers discovered something awry in this tank. Whether it was The tank misbehaving, or there were visible signs of malfunction, we don't know, but whatever it was, it prompted the folks gathered there to take a closer look. But the aberration turned out to be something else altogether. There, in the tank, was the lifeless body of the six-year-old. Within the span of a day, this went from a case of missing person to a murder. The police was called and the investigation was underway. Some clues were apparent off the bat. A. The poor girl had been brutally assaulted and raped. Anatomical damage made that abundantly obvious. Even without an autopsy, such was the extent of the depravity of a rapist. And that wasn't the only lead. The assailant had left a clue. A phone. His phone. Turns out the phone was registered to a certain man named Sonny. Without wasting a second, having extracted all the pertinent data from the phone and the SIM card, the police showed up to Sunny's house.
1: I run from a lot of the cases we've previously conducted. I know it shouldn't be commendable for the police to just do their job. But in these areas where there is so much crime and that's kind of the area that we came across Mm. when we were talking about the Sheena Bora case is just an area so incredibly known for having bodies turn up there and murders be conducted there and a lot of criminals living in the region around that it's actually commendable that they take like individual cases seriously because we know our police like we can criticize them on our episodes but they're underfunded, they're underpaid, they live in poor conditions and yet they're, they're handed this responsibility in sometimes crime-infested areas. So good on them for actually taking a stand and working on this.
0: I was actually about to get to this just in a second. You know, speaking off the phone, so it turns out the phone was in fact Sonny's, except Sonny was prepped with an alibi. Apparently a few days ago, he had been beaten up by three guys and burgled. Much like I was in Rome, except I got <laughs> away with just a, a gold-plated chain stolen. That wasn't mine either. But he was burgled. And among the things stolen were his phone. Now, that sounds like a generic lie, except it -hmm. checked out. Sunny had clearly been beaten up badly and his alibi was corroborated. The hunt was on for the three men. But until they were caught, obviously, Sunny was the prime suspect. Now, let me get to the note you pointed out, Ashwara, that of the Delhi police. See, for all its faults, at its best, the Delhi police is an exemplary force, in my opinion. Its official Mm -hmm. and unofficial connections, moles and informant networks are widespread. And when the Delhi police is at its best, I think they can truly work as a very efficient organization. The issue is how often are they at at their best um, and how often they aren't at their best, which in fact determines a lot about how the general public views them. Leveraging those networks that the police had, they were able to track down the men in less than 24 hours. Of the three who beat Sunny up, there was a 23-year-old boy. His name was Ravindra Kumar. Ravindra was a helper to a truck driver. He hailed from the small town of Badon in Uttar Pradesh. At an early age, he had moved to Delhi in the search for a better life. We often hear of Nepalese or Bangladeshi immigrants coming to India to seek a better life, but we often ignore the rural to urban mass migration that occurs in India. Urban India is ravaged by its own cultural and political issues, but it is a fact that owing to its metropolitan sensibilities, urban cities are socially far more progressive than rural India and far more educated. This isn't a sociology podcast and there are many (laughs) systemic and cultural reasons underpinning this divide, but let's just stick with the facts for a second. Migrants from small towns and villages in India bring their own baggage to the cities. Ravindra Kumar, too, had his own set of baggage. He was no exception. But his baggage differed in so much as his weren't the only shoulders carrying the weight. Hurt people hurt people, as the old adage goes, and Ravindra had indeed hurt the six-year-old. As soon as the police arrested him, that became obvious to them. He didn't pretend as if he hadn't done it. His immediate confession isn't what surprised the police. What surprised them was his unending rant. As if he was attending a confession at a church, he seemed to have confused the police for his therapists, for he lay on them not just the rape of the six-year-old, but the many other egregious acts he had committed. For starters, despite three attackers waging an attack on Sunny, on the morning of 14th July, it was only Ravinder that was lurking in the jungle in Begampur. At 6.30am, this man hid in the morning's shadows, awaiting a vulnerable child. Why morning? Why child? Why alone? We'll get to these questions soon, but for now, as Ravinder awaited his prey, a young girl stepped forth into his radar. This was supposed to be her preschool morning routine. She was probably groggy and still sleepy when a man appeared, dangling a 10 rupee note. She was caught off guard in a compromising position, but the man kept coming closer, flailing the 10 rupee note like a peace flag. And leapt onto this girl.
1: Aryan, do we know whether Ravinder had been in this location, kind of noticing this six-year-old's routine for a while, or was he just hoping that someone would come across? Like, was it specific to this child, or just a kind of random crime he wanted to commit on anyone that came by?
0: As we find out later about Ravinder, he moved from area to area, areas like construction Mm. sites and empty fields where he knew there will be somebody lurking by. So it wasn't like he was tracking this particular kid, but he had a general Mm. idea of how the locals, you know, use the fields to come defecate in the morning. He muffled her shouts and dragged her to the construction site. She didn't stop screaming. She didn't stop fighting. At the age of 6, notions of dignity are not what spring to your mind, but a basic desire to survive is ingrained in our DNA, and that pushed the 6-year-old to break free. Ravindra was worried that her cries for help would catch someone's attention, so he pulled out another 10-rupee note as if 20 rupees would somehow pacify a kidnapped child. She did not stop screaming. And Ravindra wasn't there to kidnap her to extort her parents for money. Because if that was his intention to get money out of her parents, he wouldn't be in Begampur as you pointed out, Mm -hmm. Ishwara. He would probably lurk around in Defence Colony or some other posh area of Delhi. He was intentionally wandering Begampur because that part of Delhi offered him the most vulnerable of all vulnerable groups at his disposal. Children who were poor. Santosh, her father, drove a bullock cart for a living. You don't need me to tell you that he barely made ends meet, if at all he did. Ravindra knew that kids from this area have poor parents. If at all they have parents, he wasn't going to get any money from them. But like I said, he wasn't there for the money. The kids were not a means to an end, the kids were the end. And Ravindra marked their end. He fantasized about having sex with kids. Colloquially, Ravindra was a pedophile. When the girl didn't cave to his demands, he decided that sex can come later. His priority in the moment was not getting caught.
1: He strangled
0: the young girl until she was dead. Now he thought he can relinquish his urges. He proceeded to rape the corpse in what is medically known as necrophilia necrophilia and pedophilia in Delhi and CR. Does that ring a bell, Ashwarya?
1: It rings such a huge bell, I can hear it in my mind. Aran, this is (laughs) eerily similar to Natar,i a case we're all all too familiar with, a case we wish was rubbed from our subconscious minds, but it's insane. And also, we all knew that Kohli was, at the end, it was found out a cannibal. Please tell me that's not what's going on here, although nothing makes this man better than he already comes off to be. (laughs)
0: Right. To your first point of the resemblance with Nathari, of course, that's what stuck out to me. What's surprising is that it's not caught on in the media as Nathari did, even though there are such Hmm. parallels. I, I would have hoped that this case would have some light shed onto it, especially so that these parts of Delhi are highlighted and people take a more active role in trying to fix them at a systemic level. But that's why I thought I'll cover this case because it's simply not being given enough limelight.
1: Is it possible that it's not being given enough limelight because the perpetrator in the Nithari case involved at least indirectly a really wealthy man? Could it be some kind of like a social distinction?
0: I think, I think that has a role. I think the time given to this case, hopefully with you know folks like us trying to give light to it. I'm sure that there are some great reporters out there from Times of India, mm-hmm. India Today, who've been doing great journalism, as we'll point out, even NDTV for that matter. But it's still not made that social, uh, right. that impact on the social fabric. Um, and I think that is a very good point about how Muninder Pander from uh, Nathari was yeah. a rich man. It's more scandalous way, you know. It's more scandalous. Yeah. Plus the other angle of sc- scandalism, which is... Cannibalism, as you rightly pointed yeah. out. Um, mm-hmm. guess who drew that exact same parallel Ashwara? Who? Ravindra himself, which is not oh, to wow. say you and Ravindra are alike in any way. But Ravindra himself drew that parallel. He too pointed out Kohli's cannibalism with some pride. Quote, Kohli used to rape and eat the victims' flesh, end quote. So as to imply that he just raped them and didn't stoop to the level of cannibalism.
1: What a pillar of our community.
0: What a pillar of... Honestly, yeah. The man doesn't yeah. eat... Integrity, or honesty.
1: Kids. Jesus.
0: Yep. But, you know, something else he shared in common with Kohli was the number of victims. In fact, Ravindra might have won the competition of depravity because his exploits aren't confined to one girl. And it didn't take much for the police to unearth this. Inspector Daya of the Delhi police is on record saying that upon his arrest, quote which is to say, Mm -hmm. like a parrot, he rattled off everything. The inspector went on to explain how the police didn't even have to apply pressure or interrogation tactics. Quote, we didn't even have to slap him. End Mm -hmm. quote. Turning for a second to Pushpa Devi and Santosh Kumar. To them, a discovery of scandalous serial killer was irrelevant. The only data point that mattered was their daughter, who was no more. Her life snatched away just like that. And with it, the couple lost their youngest child. Not a day goes by when her parents and her two older brothers don't mourn her loss. But there are more brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers that lost a child at the behest of what the police was about to discover was a serial rapist and a serial killer.
2: 2008, दुर्घटना कर रहा हूं और मैंने 14 15 बच्चों के साथ यह दुर्घटना कर लिया अच्छा दारू पी के मैं उनके साथ कर जाना अच्छा कहां-कहां गाड़ी कौन-कौन शहरों में सर मैंने यहां पे कराला में मजरी में आनंदपुर धाम में कंजावला में गेबरा के पास अच्छा और यहां पे कश्मीरी कॉलोनी में बताइए अलीगढ़ आपने बदायूं में और में
0: In the clip, Ravindra nonchalantly details to an NDTV reporter how he had raped and murdered kids from all over Delhi and neighbouring cities, even targeting his own aunt's kids in Aligarh.
1: Yeah, the nonchalant attitude we see across in a lot of the criminals we cover and yeah. it still perplexes me i think it'd be worth to actually have some kind of a, a social psychologist a criminal psychologist on this podcast to help decode what that actually means yeah, i'm not yeah. one uh, but that nonchalant attitude because so many of the criminals actually do feel guilty and cry or at least are scared that they're going to be caught and put behind bars and their wives and their parents will find out but the nonchalantness it it's eerie and it's creepy and yeah it's terrifying
0: He adds in the video how 2008 marked his first act of indecency back when he was just 17. Ravindra had worked many odd jobs in Delhi before landing the gig of helping a bus driver. After dropping out of high school, he left his education unfinished as he moved to Delhi. As he did with moving jobs, he moved places. Parts of Delhi and Noida were home base for him through the years. In 2008... His first victim was the daughter of one of the laborers in the Delhi metro. If anybody remembers 2008 Delhi, construction for the metro clogged the city. And inside them were (laughs) encampments where the less than minimum wage laborers coexisted. The innocent child was helpless. Ravindra raped her and killed her near the construction site itself. The body was never recovered. But how exactly was Ravindra going about this and why exactly did this repugnant desire enthrall him? you this? <laughs>
2: Sir, I going I Sir, 14. तो बच्चों को कैसे बुलाती थी घर से कैसे घर से उनको लेकर आती थी कहां जाती थी उठा के लेकर आता था और या कोई रोड पे घूमता मिल जाता था बच्चा और मैं जा रहा हूं तब उठा तो उसे क्या थे बच्चों से कहां ले जा रहे उनको ऐसे उठा के, के चला जाता था जा हूं? मैं हूं सर लगा फिर फिर करने फिर <laughs> 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 Iron,
1: you said a line previously in this episode, and I don't mean to jump the gun, so let I me mean, know if you're getting to this later. But you said, hurt people, hurt people. And I think what that what that basically means is we're all victims of victims. Um, so do we know at all anything about Ravinder's past? Do we know what he was a victim of? Do we know where these desires came from? Because there are criminals who simply seem to possess these desires, which we can't decode. But there are others who have had hard lives and have gone through similar experiences themselves and then become criminals. Do we know anything about him and why he's a victim possibly as well?
0: This just shows um, how well we know each other that that one phrase that I put there because mm-hmm. I put it so consciously in the script, because I would eventually get to it. Um, what do we know about Ravinder's past? Ishwara, you are definitely jumping the gun, but I will um, sort of answer your question because I'll get to it All later. Right. But. Digging into the past is something media outlets haven't done. So I took it upon as a responsibility to see if there was a past which afflicted him, that caused, you know, that forced him or compelled him at least to have things that led to his actions eventually. Um, you know my ardent belief as a determinist as somebody who believes every action has a cause um, yeah. that you can't simply just say there's an evil within us I, 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 I would like for us to help discover what this evil is and I will mm-hmm. get to it eventually
1: and yeah I, I don't know a lot of our listeners may not know this but we're all victims of victims is actually my favorite saying probably one of my favorite sayings so I think that tells you something about how we view the cases we cover
0: yeah and it's not the most popular take there are there's a different no, school of not. thought altogether about an inherent evil and some people are inherently evil um we just don't believe in that and that's something we've always been honest of you know we've we think of course our stories need to be victim centric but that doesn't mean we ignore the perpetrator because if we do not identify the real cause of a problem we'll mm-hmm. never have the real solution either right yep. um but The second clip that I have for you, it's also from the NDTV interview. And again, NDTV's reporters have done some fantastic journalism in directly interviewing Ravinder but this NDTV interview persuaded me to cover this case. As you know, we love shedding light on lesser known cases. And trust me when I tell you the details on this case are sparse, even though the Rohini court recently released the verdict literally a week ago. Oh, okay. I was almost about to pass on this case, Ashwarya, until I came across this particular interview. Ashwara, it reminded me strongly of the interview of that necrophile from Pakistan we covered in the mystery of the 50 corpses episode. The acknowledgement of wrongdoing on part of the perpetrator is accompanied with a nonchalance. It's very different from a tone of guilt, but it's also different from a Hannibal-like pride in the act. It, to hmm. me, feels like the perpetrator deep down knows their moral outcast, but believes that they're helpless and condemned to a fate of gory desires. Now here's a disclaimer, the interview is from 2015 and the person you're listening to is the murderer himself, so not the most trustable source. For example, his reason to commit the crimes as stated on tape are alcohol. But we've all consumed alcohol. And right now in Europe, I'm consuming way more alcohol than I should be. (laughs) Never have we desired such ghastly things. At most, I flirt a little more and I dance a little more. (laughs) So there's obviously something deep within him that perhaps is triggered by alcohol. Alcohol isn't the cause. And as the police investigated, a plethora of explanations arose. One was born. Apparently, two semi-porn horror movies brought about a porn addiction that he simply couldn't get rid of. Seeing gore made him yearn for gore. Videos were no longer enticing. As many rapists and serial killers have testified, including Ted Bundy himself, porn sometimes plays a role in creating deep-seated desires. Once you get sensitized to sight, you want touch. Now, Just to be clear, the science here is split. Some papers argue that viewing porn is directly related to higher incidences of violence and is especially associated with different kinds of pornographic material being viewed. But there's another school of thought, which I personally ascribe to, which believes that porn's correlation to rape is very similar to alcohol's correlation. Both in my opinion and several psychologists' opinion, brings out a darker side of an individual usually associated with Mm. some form of childhood trauma. This is not to say porn or alcohol are good. So Ashwarya, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, I was dissatisfied with this explanation that most major news media have reported and even the Delhi police argued with in quote. I went exploring for more answers and landed on an old interview of Ravindra with the Hindu. Quote, two persons, Sunil and Anil, sodomized me three to four times when I was 12 years old. End quote. Now, sodomizing is another word for raping a man. And this quote, Ashwarya is from Ravinder from 2015. And it is a barely mentioned anywhere on the internet. And it's perhaps too uncomfortable for national news to navigate. Yeah, the, you need nuance to be able to deal with such complex sociological things. And the police, mind you, they did hear out uh, Ravindra's testimony but they dismissed it. And Ravindra also notes that this was never reported to the police but he was just 12 years old. How would it be reported?
1: And it's also not the police's responsibility to navigate that kind of detail. The police's responsibility now is the child that's been raped and murdered. Uh, it's perhaps the journalist's job and perhaps the psychologist in the country's job to navigate that kind of detail. And even for them, I can imagine it's it's uncomfortable. Yeah,
0: I would only at this in favor of the police doing something about it because the police's investigation mm-hmm. is what is used as prosecution and if the prosecution uses um, or mentions at least to the court that there was some childhood trauma the, you know he had been raped there would mm-hmm. be a different sort of rehabilitation for him he would still sure. be punished and you know as I'm going to mention explanation is not a justification but perhaps trying to delve into his own trauma, having a child psychologist trying to understand how this psychopathy, how this this instinct to be a serial killer was brought about might be helpful not just for him but for us as a society to understand how to prevent such people from Mm -hmm. doing what they're doing. But no matter what caused him to commit these heinous crimes, their egregiousness isn't excused nor are the lost lives reclaimed. On top of all of this, the police discovered usage of illicit drugs. Alcohol, drugs, porn, trauma, individually or perhaps a combination of all of these, drove Ravindra to his depredations. His modus operandi of lurking kids was threefold. Either he just swooped them up when he set out after dusk, or he loaded them with cash, but the most successful ploy was candy. Using toffees, little candies like Leave or the ones that we have been having since we were kids, he asked kids to come with him into fields or desolate construction sites. There, away from Delhi's busyness, in the shadows of India's capital, he turned innocent kids into corpses. You remember the boy from Begampur who was sodomized and throat was slit mm-hmm. but managed to survive? The same boy that couldn't identify as assailant, hence the assailant was let go. That assailant was Ravindra. And yes, the police had almost caught him, but lack of evidence got the better of them.
1: Also, there was like a slight glimmer of hope that the six-year-old's life could have been spared and the other Mm -hmm. victims that that perhaps succeeded that.
0: More than a glimmer of hope, Ishwarya, because Forensic Yard reports that all the way back in 2009, he was Mm -hmm. again apprehended for sexually assaulting and killing a labourers boy in Vijay Vihar, but lack of evidence came to his rescue and he got bailed. This evasion from justice served only to embolden him to fearlessly commit more such crimes. July 2014 marked the end of the spree. Ravindra had finally been caught, his reign exposed. Upon his arrest, the Hindu quoted him saying, The Nithari accused was provided a separate cell. I too want separate accommodation in jail. I am ready to be hanged for my crimes, but I should be protected from other prisoners. Other prisoners thrashed me in the jail, in the court lockup, and inside the prison vehicle while being taken to the court. They will kill me this time. End quote. And Ashwara, you know this child rapists are the bottom rung of all yeah, criminals. The worst. Cri- prisons, the worst. Yeah. Even even criminals think that, you know, stealing and all is uh, owing to...
1: Yeah, stealing, murder for money, this, that and the other, like financial fraud. They excuse it. It's yeah, they chill, excuse it. But, well, but yeah.
0: If hell isn't real, there is at least a special place in prison for them, uh, no matter what. Absolutely. Now, he is certainly guilty, but whether he's remorseful whether the guilt shines through within him, I am not sure. His words betray his tone. For example, he said, quote, I knew I would get caught one day. If I am released ever, I will go far, far away from here. I will get myself castrated so I do not repeat the offence. Probably some isolated place in Bihar. End quote. 30 kills puts this serial killer above the Natari case, yet very little is known about him and more importantly about his victims and their families. On 6th of May, he was finally found guilty for one of the 30 murders and is currently serving his time at Tehar Jail. But 29 families are still out there seeking justice for their kids. And with the slowness of our system, only time will tell if justice will be served. Until then, stay safe, stay crazy, stay desi.